You're listening to the Nomcast, a proud member of Forgotten Entertainment. Hello, and welcome to the Nomcast. Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomCastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at NomCastPod.com. Sure, the Oscars don't happen until March of next year, but with film festival season in full swing and a stacked lineup of A-list actors and directors showing off their latest films in the next few months, I figured now would be a good time to check in with our award season expert, also Mike, of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and answer some burning questions about what looks like the Netflix Big Three Awards films, which films may jump up into one of those coveted spots, and maybe some categories that Netflix is usually very competitive in that may be in some hot water at the moment. So a lot to get to in this overpacked episode, which is usually how they are every time that also Mike steps on with us, and we love it every single time. Be sure to check out also Mike and his co-host Mike One on Mike, Mike, and Oscar, where they break down the latest news around the Hollywoods and review and preview every film you need to know about for award season and beyond. They are good for multiple episodes a week and are a must-listen on my podcast rotation, so listen and subscribe to Mike, Mike, and Oscar when you have a chance. And of course, be sure to subscribe and review this podcast, The Nomcast, wherever you are listening to us right now. Be sure to come back next week when we will do a classic review double feature as we take on two star-led August action films, Beckett, starring John David Washington, and Sweet Girl, starring Aquaman himself, Jason Momoa. All right, let's get to today's amazing episode. Here it is, the Netflix award season update with my guest and my buddy, also Mike. Thanks for listening. All right, I have a million questions to ask this man because I started to freak out uh, about all the Oscar stuff. If you listen to our interview that I did with Casey Moore of What's on Netflix, one of the big things I I felt Netflix was so ill-prepared this year, at least to this point, for the Oscar conversation, the award show conversation. So whenever I have these freakouts, the only person to reach out to is my guys at Mike, Mike, and Oscar. So we brought in also Mike. How are you, sir? Well, I am worried for you because I'm basically Will Ferrell in the locker room in old school, screaming <laughs> at people to keep their composure because I get yeah. so crazy excited about these things. And I'm usually caffeinated till a very late hour in the day, which I am for tonight sure. on a Sunday evening when we record this podcast. So I am uh, I am all jittery and crazed about this upcoming Oscar season because I have questions that I ask uh, that I ask the year round as well. So I don't know if I'm going to reassure you, but I did a lot of research and I hope to have some possibilities perhaps. Well, for anyone who listens to your uh, podcast recently, Mike, I don't know about reassuring anything (laughs) when I think your last episode was like Hollywood signs shattering or shaking Uh news or whatever it was uh, where all the studios, you know, are are planning for, for more movement and shutdowns and everything else. And that's right. 
it's a mess. And of course, I'm like, hey, I'm glad you're worrying about everyone else's mess. Come to Netflix here where we're all sorting ourselves out and we're, we're in pretty good shape. Because the one thing uh, after our phone call that I called you where I was like, God, this seems like such a mess. One of the things that became kind of more clear when we were doing the research for this episode mm-hmm. was... I think they're good. <laughs> like, I, I think you kind of like it, whether you're going to say anything today that's going to make me feel better ultimately or not. I think you already did it, Mike. I think you already like kind of accomplished the goal yeah. by by just doing the research and going, <laughs> hey, idiot, look over here. So I think where I want to start, Mike, mm-hmm. is in the past, the things that have made me feel good about the Netflix slate for the year. We've done our our State of the Union episodes where we kind of lay out what we see coming forward. And a lot of times it's these big time directors. Mm-hmm. It's these like amazing like the the three-headed monster of something that they're going to go forward with. And in the past, 2019, Marriage Story, The Irishman, and The Two Popes were the three big ones that they went to bat with. Mm-hmm. 2020 last year, Clearly became the year of Mank, the trial of the Chicago 7, and Ma Rainey. By at least this time last year, we kind of knew those three were going to be that way. Uh, especially because they had acquired trial of the Chicago 7 sometime in the summer, I believe, last year. and Knowing that they had to release it uh, before election period. Yes. So that was the big goal. So now here we are in 2021... I kind of was like, who is the Netflix big three? Because even when we did our State of the Union, we kind of had a bunch of guesses of like what might work. And some of it's based on directors, like talking about, like say, someone like Adam McKay. Mm-hmm. But some of it's just based on feeling and listening to you know synopsis stuff. And the one thing that we didn't have in the equation last year that can help us was film festivals. And now they're back. So I think... Between you and I kind of like reading the tea leaves, I figured this will be a great conversation to to figure out who is the Netflix big three, mm-hmm. whether they need a big three, because it hasn't worked for Best Picture thus far, and then we'll kind of go through maybe some of the other ones that could pop up. You good? I- I'm great with that because it fits into my preview summer. That's why this was kind of an easy episode to get ready for because Mike and I have been following these film festivals uh, every single announcement, some are announcing, you know, five films at a time, some are announcing, you know, huge swaths and whole slates. But Netflix recommitted to the film festival circuit. And that's why I think we can look at their slate and say, all right, they're going to vet some things. They're going to allow the competitions to order and prioritize their Oscar slate and their oscar you know what they're going to campaign with and they're also going to you know they're going to form this big three at the end of the year because they really haven't announced every single release date yet yet so i do think i do think that december release you know schedule for netflix is going to matter that late november december release schedule especially in this particular year where we're not having an Oscars again until March, but we don't have the extended eligibility like we did last year until February. Right. Yeah. So you're really going to need those end of the year schedule. I completely agree. And and some of them have already shaken out. Uh, Tick, Tick, Boom has mm-hmm. a November, mid-November date. Bruised, which was the Halle Berry directorial thing, they kind of put that in the Thanksgiving spot, uh, which 
you know, Hillbilly Elegy was in that spot last year. So is that a death nail? Is that a is that a scary spot now? Or is that something to where it reaffirms that position for her? I, I hope for the best. But yeah, that was a mess last year. But yeah, some of the ones we're going to talk about right now, we don't have dates for. Uh, and, and reading those tea leaves, Mike, I think the big three mm-hmm. looks like The Power of the Dog, Jane Campion's film, uh, you know, it's kind of getting a lot of buzz in those early festival circuits, or at least as far as the positioning in those circuits. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Don't Look Up, like we said, Adam McKay has the pedigree. That looks like definitely something that they're going to move forward with as well, even though that one is not in the festival circuit, so we don't know as much. And then I guess the third would be Tick, Tick, Boom, which uh, is Lin-Manuel Miranda. It being also a directorial debut, is that something that's going to be that third? (laughs) Or is it something that's going to move up and take that place? But that also has some film festival news that we'll go over. But let's start with Power of the Dog, Mike. It it seems to be their biggest one. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's going to be the consensus at the end of the day, but... Do you agree that that looks like the power position at this point? Yes, I would agree. And it's because of how they're posturing it at the film festivals. Number one, it's the centerpiece at New York. And you can look down the uh, the card of previous centerpieces at New York and and they matter at the end of the day. Uh, I, I have 10 out of the last 12 are have been Oscar nominated at, at, in terms of the, the, the centerpiece New York Film Festival history, recent history. So that, yeah, it's a great stat that that's a that's a huge stat uh, that you add on to the fact, you know, Venice winners, uh, TIFF winners. We have can winners. Seven out of the last best pictures came from one of those film festival crowns. Right. right. So this truly is a, a vetting circuit. This truly is the industry meeting together with the fans, getting excited about movies, which is why I was concerned for Netflix last year when they eschewed this whole process. Because if you look back, you can go 20 years back. And and even if you even the seven out of 11, even the four of those movies that didn't win a major prize, like Spotlight was a runner up. We had Moonlight, which just blew the doors off a Telluride and had one of the most, you know, viral marketing, you know, contagious viral marketing uh, buzz campaigns ever. Uh, I mean, these films played the festivals and they always did well, even if they didn't win the key prizes. So the festival circuits. It's where the creme de la creme of the industry meets to get excited about their movies. And then once they, you know, they win at the festivals, that's when you start the parade or the grassroots campaign or whatever metaphor you want to use here. Yeah. And the scuttlebutt behind Netflix, too, is that they're really, really careful and really calculated about what festivals they put which movie in. And I think that, you know, the positioning means a lot, of course, regardless But it's also the certain ones you were saying here, the ones that have true competition Mm -hmm. that they can kind of garner this buzz that they beat out some other films or were a runner up or have some momentum that goes forward. I think that's huge. But that's what also scares me a little bit or it has about some people about Tick, Tick, Boom, uh, because, you know. It's like it's not Venice, it's not Toronto, it's not Cannes, it's not any of the some of the other majors. This is still a major that has had some other films that have 
gone on to be very successful yeah uh be entered but it also some people are like oh well i guess netflix thinks this is a lower tier do you do you ascribe to that one at all so marriage story in 2019 replaced the banker as a closing night film at afi and that really worked out for marriage story because i think it gave the opposite coast the big the big red carpet treatment for marriage story and it kind of solidified it at the end of its festival run with mudbound i think that was a different story back in 2017 that was the opening night film from netflix and that was one of the first bona fide oscar campaigns that worked for yeah. the, the the worldwide streamer number one streamer so you look through the last opening and closing night films from afi there's a lot of cool ass movies here number one like i'm your woman was a favorite of ours last year queen and mm. slim the year before that uh i mean you can go down the list the most violent year inside llewellyn davis some cool selections from afi they're inspired yeah. we'll go to london later on and we'll talk we'll pro probably throw some more shade to at london but in terms of uh afi you also have some some Oscar nominees. Uh, and even if they don't win the big categories, they're, I think, uh, let me count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, including Lincoln. So out of the mm -hmm. last 10 years, eight Oscar nominees, either opening or closing night. Is that the same number as, you know, I just went over for the New York centerpiece? Absolutely not. But right. There's still some cachet. I think if they added like an Andrew Garfield tribute or two, I'd feel stronger. <laughs> yeah. about, I mean, if Regina King gets another three or four tributes for the harder they fall, I'd, I'd feel stronger about the overall candidacy. Like with the power of the dog, Benedict Cumberbatch is also getting a TIFF tribute there. And right. the last, or, you know, three of the last five tributes at TIFF, Chloe Zhao, Anthony Hopkins, and Joaquin Phoenix. So stuff like that's going to add to the overall, uh, candidacy kind of perception and it, you know as good as anybody perception matters especially in you know a political scenario where we're all casting votes at the end of the year yeah and it wasn't toronto but i remember it becoming a big deal when adam driver got this big award recognition in venice for yeah. the marriage story year and that kind of got him some propulsion at least obviously for the nomination but you know ultimately didn't pay off as far as a win but it definitely kicked off a year uh, of marriage story gobbling up nominations left and right vanessa kirby undeniable after her venice win right in a, yeah. in a year where she had stiff competition down the card including other netflix nominees or potential nominees like zendaya so right. absolutely correct yeah and so that's why i guess of the the big three i guess there is some concern with Don't Look Up because we don't have a conversation around it. They released a teaser during the Olympics, but they haven't even put really like an official version of that teaser online for us to kind of take a look at. Uh, principal photography has been wrapped since February, so this should be good to go. It was the end piece of that big Netflix reel that they put out in the beginning of the year, so they put it in a very prime position, <laughs> and Ann Thompson thinks uh, DiCaprio is should be a serious contender by the end of the year. But as you've noted a lot of times on your own show um, and everything that I've read, this year is so stacked with people who have 
you know, previous Oscar winners and, and a lot of things that – the competition seems stiff in this category in particular for, for Leo, at least. In terms of name recognition, it's as loaded as ever. I mean, Will Smith, is, he, he practically wins a nomination in the King Richard trailer alone for Warners. <laughs> uh, Bradley Cooper's got a couple. Adam Driver's got a couple. Denzel Washington's going to open New York. Uh, you go down the card, Javier Bardem's going to be – you know, in the I Love Lucy movie there, that's going to be hard to, to vote against. Uh, like Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be here. Andrew Garfield is going to be in the mix. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix has got a movie. The list goes on and on. Huge names, Clint Eastwood, Matt Damon, etc. Huge names for Leonardo DiCaprio to go up against if this is in fact a farce. Now, right. what the new information we got is from that teaser trailer during the Olympics. And that teaser trailer starts uh, starts or shards, I guess you could say, <laughs> with a scene of Leonardo DiCaprio having a breakdown in front of a mirror. Can you get more Oscar-y than that? Uh, <laughs> sure. And then they show Meryl Streep, and then they show Jonah Hill, and they're not doing the other guy's thing in that trailer. That trailer doesn't have the goofy Adam McKay, Will Ferrell's improvising every other line kind of feel to that trailer. You have right. a very scripted uh, sense of humor for Adam McKay's last few Oscar nominated films. And this trailer gives me more hope, the teaser that is, that it's something like that than, you know, something goofier. But w we shall see. I mean, if we have, you know, uh, th who's the guy from Portlandia, for Christ's sake? Uh, Fred Armisen? If we have timothy chalamet doing the fred armiston <laughs> role at a restaurant then yeah maybe the you know maybe right, don't sure. look up is just more for you and i to just relish every second of but maybe it's right. not for the oscars at the end of the day so we're gonna still find out like you you were hearing buzz you know that maybe it's not what it purports to be in terms of an oscar contender if anything like well i mean that was on the mics when i was talking to to casey moore they he he said yeah it might be a little bit of a mess uh, but again, it, I know Adam McKay's stuff is very edit intensive and, you know, I'm sure his movies go through a lot of screening process and trying to figure out because uh, it's a it's a puzzle, a lot of his, especially the big short. I mean, that movie, it seemed like yeah. unadaptable. You know what I mean? Yeah. And And they nailed it. At the end of the day, I just so. gained so much respect for you, too, because I was like, all right, do you want to just like lay back there and maybe not talk shit? potential shit but no you're not a toady and yeah you yeah. won't be told what to say that's perfect i love you yeah well i it's also it's a concern because i mean if yeah. this is a big three labeled type film it's the closer of your big uh you know right. uh, slate uh you know clip reel uh sizzle reel whatever it's like you're, we're trying to gain some buzz I think they need to do more at this stage especially if it's you know i know it's august listen but you know they need to tell me, like, hey, this is a December spot. We, this is going to be our guy. Like, we need to do this. But for all intents and purposes, I hear a ton about Power of the Dog. And then everything else, we're just getting little bits and pieces and not all of it's positive. So we got to kind of put it out there. And that's part of my reason why I called you, buddy. I was like, <laughs> Jesus, uh, do we have something here? Um, but Adam McKay's reputation, I think, is what's going to sell at the end of the day. And at least is what is going to make me more confident until we see more that would tell me otherwise, because I'm a big fan. Right. And I, I, you know, and like you said, you mentioned the list of A-listers, you know, in the Oscar noms, just in this movie, right. we talked about yes. uh, that, that cast it's it, you got to rely 
on on the pedigree of everything you see in front of you and give them the benefit of the doubt. So we've seen Netflix movies like The Laundromat, the first movie I ever reviewed with you, right? We've seen yeah, those with loaded yeah. casts, but they don't have the Oscars track record, especially the recent recent Oscars track record of Adam McKay just being aces with each one of his films. So that's the right. difference here, I would say. And as far as Tick Tick Boom goes, uh you know, I think that positioning is good for them. I think they can stand out more. And we're actually talking about it because it's an opening film at a film festival. But if it went to, say, TIFF and was just in competition, just something else, you know, or if it went to something to where it's not this centerpiece type feeling, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it doesn't get a conversation going like you and I are doing right now or, or amongst the industry folks you know, at all. Because to me, I think this makes them stand out. So the Tick, Tick, Boom premiere on Netflix is only a week after this festival. So Correct. this is going to be like a last minute kickstart for Tick, Tick, Boom, essentially. Yeah. A last minute countdown. And I guess it's almost a no, no, no lose situation. I mean, you know, well, they're also putting it in theaters two days after its premiere so at AFI. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a no lose situation. You're getting all that extra publicity. So even if you're holding it to the end there and it's not your bona fide Oscars contender, which is why you're going to go through this next whole segment about the, right. <laughs> you know, the next tier <laughs> that could jump into the big three uh, and one of these could fall out naturally or one of these, uh, you know, next group of films could overtake it. But if that happens, Netflix is still making out really well with the added publicity heading into the launch. For sure. And, and I guess that's where we'll start there because great segue into into our next piece here. What I would kind of like to, to dovetail this is, of those big three, Mike, which one do you think would fall out of that? And I guess, and then we'll follow it up with, which one would you guess would take that spot and become part of that big three? Because remember, Mike, this time last year, I did mention those big three, but if you talked, if we talked over the summer last year, we'd be like, "Was well, Defy Blood still going to be part of that big three? And it really wasn't. Right. It it started out strong and it and it capitalized on a, a net very necessary moment, but it didn't hold. Now you wonder if they campaigned it more like one of the big three and they gave it a film festival launch. If, if things yeah. would have gone differently, because I do think there was some real momentum for a couple of those performances. It's very, I mean, uh, good God. It was supposed to premiere at Cannes, right. right? Because you had the Spike Lee connection there. It was supposed to do a big, you know, presentation thing. You know, it was going to be a big deal. People might've gotten bored with it or people might not have wanted to rewatch it. If it, if you were fresh off of having seen Delroy Lindo, you yeah. know, right yeah. at, right at voting time. And that was the last thing you saw that could have been the father, you know, yeah. that's why like the, sure. the father went dormant. The father went dormant from Sundance. You hear nothing. They wouldn't give any uh, screeners at Sony, nothing dormant. And then boom, it just hits late breaking. People see it again if they hadn't seen it yet. And oh, my God, Anthony Hopkins and the late breaking momentum mattered in a long ass year. That yeah, could very well happen again this year. Uh, just again, based on the lengthy calendar and how kind of exhausted we are at the at the end of it especially so you get that new blood this always i mean it happens in a big way with million dollar baby and it happens in previous years with phantom thread and and like last year with the father so 
it matters. But you're right. You you have three more films here, and I you know maybe we have a third list too. Maybe one of them could leapfrog. But my guess right now, in terms of passing, the guilty. And the Starling. Oh, and un- do we still do we have Untitled Nora Finkscheid project? Is that there? Yeah, I, I guess you could put that there. I did love your little uh, your little note there about Mike One. If you want to share that, he made yeah he made the joke that uh, he's going to start a band called uh, Untitled Nora Finkscheid Project. So I love it. Uh, if, if that's not gonna you know take off into the zeitgeist, my guess is the Starling. Because I've seen Passing, I love Passing, Ruth Nega, Tessa Thompson giving understated performances. Every, you know, 10, 10th frame is a work of art. You're going to see some, some, some awe-inspiring cinematography there and, and all the period piece stuff really works. I reviewed that on your show before. Now, right. I think they have a chance to, you know, reignite some momentum at passing, but I'm not entirely sure if New York Film Festival, if that's going to be quite enough, but we do have the Starling and the Guilty headed to TIFF, and we, we're still waiting on the Sandra Bullock, Viola Davis, uh, Nora Finkshite project there. So my right. guess is the Starling right now. My guess is the Starling because Theodore Melfi has been aces with uh, his, his last project, uh, Hidden Figures, with uh, I mean, Melissa McCarthy in the lead role here. What did everybody do for the last year, man? They gardened. So if yeah. she has, <laughs> so if she has this control over her tone, and this is, and Theodore Melfi, he was able to hit the drama comedy tone perfect, pitch perfect right. with Hidden Figures. That movie was funny and it was substantive. If yeah, he, and so Saint Vincent had those moments too for for before that if they can do that with the starling and it's getting that early spot with tiff i could see a lot of momentum being built there what i wonder is can they you know draw that inside straight and hit the tone right because melissa mccarthy battling a bird even though she's in mourning she's grieving the death of somebody uh yeah we know that to juggle those two things for me to think about her and you know the uh can't never forgive you movie Mm-hmm. And then to think about her as the coach throwing shit on all her players in the SNL skit, which <laughs> yeah. one is she here or can she bring right. them both well enough? So that's the question. And I could be wildly wrong here. So to, that's why I'm qualifying it with such a long and silly rant right now. But I, if I had to guess, if I had to put my money on one of those three, it's the Starling because I'm, a, you know, Antoine Fuqua, he's got it in his CV with the guilty. He just hasn't had you know, the awards movie in a while. He's been making money. He's been he's been having hits with the equalizers. It's, when's the last time? But he also had a massive bomb on Paramount Plus. Very uh, true. Infinite. Too. Infinite. Yeah. So, but you got to go 20 years before he made an Oscars film uh, yeah. with, with Training Day there. So that's going back, man. So I, that that's where I'm at right now. If I, if I had to bet, I know I kind of was bullish on the Starling back when, and, you know, all that's come out is a still of... Uh, and, uh, you know, Melissa McCarthy making a stinky face at a at a picture of an owl, you know, a, a sculpture of an owl. Right. Kind of funny. I, you know, I, I'm I'm hopeful it's the Starling, but we'll we'll uh, we'll hold out hope for some of these others as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Though uh, I, the way I read that is the same way. I mean, I think 
putting passing in New York Film Festival is smart to just try to maybe get more people to watch it who didn't get to watch it at Sundance to kind of just, you know, bring back some of that momentum, bring back some of those feelings, put them back in the conversation. But it's not in like this power position. It's not an opener or centerpiece position or any of these other things, you know, and, and it might get drowned out by the power of the dog and others uh, in that, that are in those positions, like uh, the Macbeth film and uh, mm -hmm. Al uh, Motivar's film is the closer, right? Parallel mothers. Yeah. Well, that's the yeah. thing you, you mentioned it earlier. I think debuts matter to the Academy. Yes. You almost got to mm -hmm. pay your dues for a while. And we know the exception to that rule tends to be, actors who change gears and who have an illustrious career in front of the camera and then go behind the camera. We've seen it from Robert Redford and Kevin Costner to, of course, uh, Greta Gerwig uh, and sure. even Jordan Peele, I guess you could say to an extent, you know, they, they have the rec name recognition and they, they, you know, they're brilliant at other things. So it's just right. like this built in aura around people like Rebecca Hall in this case for passing that you, right. you, you go in with the track record and you're immediately taken seriously, which she should be. She, she nailed this film and it's very, it's very literary. Uh, I would say at the end of the day, so there's, there's possibilities for passing and it's following the father's blueprint. It goes dormant for a long time. And here it comes back in the fall film festivals. Like we saw last year with the father playing AFI and playing Middleburg, et cetera. Yeah, and, and another film festival thing that I think is not going to make a ton of noise in, in terms of the award conversation, but I could be very surprised, and I hope I am, is The Harder They Fall being the opener in the London Film Festival, uh, where that's going to be a, you know, a showcase, but it's not really one of those festivals that gets that momentum so i'm assuming you know they're doing it to showcase the film it is you know a london-based filmmaker mm -hmm. uh you know and, and i believe he was a musician and everything else he's got a a reputation on that ground so if they're gonna make any noise with it that seems like a good place for it but i don't know if that's gonna be an awards film so when mike and i reviewed that trailer we were in awe of they started with the camera on one side of the village and it was almost like you know these little western towns this one side of you know the village doesn't go that far maybe a football yeah. field but then it goes like I mean, the zoom in is this wild ass zoom in again, almost like you're watching a Fox NFL TV, you know, uh, broadcast. And the camera goes all the way to the two characters at the other side of town. So he's yeah. doing wild things with the cinematography. He's got the slow motion scene with Idris Elba getting his, getting uh, uh, rescued from by Regina King, etc. He's got these badass showcase shots uh, of Regina King in front of the train. I do wonder if this is a technical marvel, then this could be a showcase for the harder they fall. And then they can capitalize and piggyback on, on it doing well at London. Now, the London Film Festival opening nighters, I didn't, I didn't do research on the closing nighters, but the opening nighters, only two of the last 10 have been Oscar nominated. And you got to go back to 2014 and 2013 with the imitation game and Captain Phillips. So it's, right. been, a, it's been a minute since the BFI london opening nighter made a huge mark at the oscars and i mean they tried they had andy circus and breathe andrew garfield personal history of david copperfield steve mcqueen's widows they had some cool ass films there good movies yeah didn't necessarily break through in an awards conversation so i'm wondering what the harder they fall is because it's such a stylish trailer 
yeah it, it, it didn't it seem to you like more of a cool ass action movie than it would a uh, you know prestige drama i mean yeah obvious... it feels like a guy Ritchie movie right in a western you know where which i'm all for oh my god that fits so many of the things that i love totally uh and and this cast was the thing that popped out for us when we did the uh uh, Netflix State of the Union episode. We're yes, like, sir. oh my god, these are everybody I love. Uh, Idris Elba, Zazie Beetz, Jonathan Majors, like all these people. Regina King. It, it's it's impressive. Um, and Lakeith Stanfield, I believe. Too, Delroy Lindo, uh, loaded, loaded. Yeah, yeah. So unbelievable. Uh, my my uh, my wonder, I guess, especially positioning it in London. I wonder if they could be sneaky about trying to get into BAFTA play, which might get some crossover. But that, oh, we you know. know. We know after yeah. last year in particular with the father, yeah. back right. to play matters. No question. Yeah, so it might be a sneaky way of kind of like impressing the Brits and then kind of sneaking in the back door. But again, it might just be, you know, giving it the opening. It's just giving more credence to them believing in it, but they don't know whether it's going to be, if it makes sense more to, for that crowd than it does for, say, you know, TIFF or, or Telluride or somewhere else that, you know, which Telluride, we never know. So it could land somewhere, too. But, yeah, it, it seems like a, a next run. You know, but I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm okay with it not being an Oscar film because it just looks badass, yes. which is fine. But this episode is not titled The Badass Movies That Are To Come. But I think the awards conversation is to be determined, but I think it's a little less at this point. Um, one thing I wanted to do before we take a break mm -hmm. is kind of see how, uh, you know, the position of some of these other films, maybe like Bruised or thing like that uh, that I brought up. The thing that Netflix has been good at the last couple of years is kind of like pitching certain films for that, you know, Gotham, Indie Spirits, some of these things that they've kind of positioned like, mm -hmm. you know, High Flying Bird, I know, would be a film that didn't get into the high awards conversation, but had another kind of life because it got brought in. The half of it, which we loved uh, in the in more recent memory, uh, 40 year old version that was picked up out of Sundance that got a little extra life because of that. Do you see any how they're going to position maybe the second tier awards? So. I think last year was a bit confusing, right? Because last year with all the indie film boutique production company acquisitions that they were able to make because a lot of studios were sidelined because of last year's slate that was so long and, and yeah. so awesome to us, especially at the time. And we were just marveling over, you know, all these cool ass films. I think that that deep, that deep roster kind of, you know, and, and why, you you know, you wanted to do this today's pod, that deep ass roster kind of makes us think that they pushed something like bruised to the next year or blonde or whatever. I'm wondering if they're more strategic here because bruised last year, the only game in town was the UFC, right? UFC sure. was playing yeah. every weekend. And I don't think movie production, uh, movie studios like to release sports movies when the sport is just like front and center and for people because mm. people don't want to watch the sport uh, in a movie they want to watch the sport and they want to be consumed with the sport so i wonder if bruised is going to be you know have it's going to have a, a a more productive landing spot at thanksgiving 
because you know we're, we're all we all want to watch prestige pro- uh, projects here she is supposedly delivering a tremendous performance that we knew out of tiff and it's not you know it's not last winter when the ufc was front and center so i think they kind of moved that in a smart way if they moved it to august that's a whole different conversation it's in november man it's in a it's in a great oscars position bruised so that could be in the mix here. I think uh, the loss. Well, before we go any further, Mike, I just wanted to say that uh, the early things I read about Bruised mm-hmm. was straight out of Halle Berry's mouth, where she said, "I picked Netflix because they were the people who said that they can help me finish this film." So I think they kind of saw it as good start, but kind of a project movie. So I think that delayed it a little bit too. But we are talking over a year at this point by the time it comes out. Well, that would be. That would be cool if they actually helped her finish the movie movie with Studio Insight, right? We're we're yeah. wondering why Blonde keeps getting moved, the Marilyn Monroe movie. Oh no, we're not. No, <laughs> did you see? Uh, supposedly there was a, a rumor that they said there was some highly sexual stuff, some really graphic, intense things that what maybe kind of conflicted with what they thought the movie was going to be. So uh, I guess, you know, kind of the director and studio kind of talking it over. So send so it, it to got, Cannes. It got pushed. Send it to Cannes with every other yeah. overly overtly sexual film. <laughs> but you but you know Netflix's problem in Cannes. So what are we talking yeah, about? So yeah, maybe yeah. this movie does go yeah. to Cannes uh, if, if that relationship mends by, by next summer. No, probably won't. But uh, yeah, I, was, <laughs> I was trying to make a, a stupid joke. But all right. I yeah. think I, I guess what I'm saying is. We ca- I don't know if we can necessarily assume it's a, you know, it's a troubled production because they delayed bruised a year is worth a troubled production because it's an acquisition from Sundance 2020. This is Michael Keaton. This is I mean, th- this is a film whose you know, buzz is fairly high now after Ann Thompson keeps mentioning it. Stanley Tucci, Amy Ryan, Tate Donovan, Gail Rankin, Netflix, uh, Netflix performers uh, right there, a bunch of them in, in other films. Yeah. We have this trailer that drops, man, and it looks like a trailer for Spotlight, for Christ's sake. It, it's it's <laughs> yeah. just dripping with intrigue. And, oh, my God, these paradoxes. How do you put a worth? How do you put a price on somebody after 9-11 and all the litigation? And I could not be more interested in a movie that I I didn't think I would be into at all. So here you go. Michael Keaton is back in the best actor uh, race. And this is a September movie from Netflix. So it's, you know, in terms of an Oscars uh, situation, it's it's got a puncher's chance in that regard. Yeah. I mean, the only thing, yeah, obviously we can say against it, it was a lot, not this past Sundance, but it was a Sundance before, right? It was 2019 (laughs) Sundance. So, you know, they held on to this for a while. I guess it makes sense because we're, we're coming up on a a milestone for 9-11. So it's more in, it more might be a positional thing more than just a quality of film thing, but definitely something that Netflix can, can, do a lot of damage with uh and and as far as the movement of what has happened with the the 9-11 fund the victims fund and everything else people front and center like pete davidson whose father died in 9-11 and john stewart who has been uh at all the hearings trying to to salvage this fund and and get the people their due they might get a lot of celebrity help with this film to to get attention to so i don't know if it's going to get into that upper echelon but 
it'd be interesting to to see if Keaton gets a nomination out of something, even if it may if it's not the Oscars, but maybe gets something lesser tier. But I agree with you. I think it's gonna get a lot of eyeballs, if anything. Well, that's the thing. Last year, Netflix like donated to every festival. It donated to every, and you know, it was a major sponsor of all these award shows, whether or not they had a ton of uh, nominees there. And there's just a lot of good karma built up by Netflix in that regard, in terms of a campaign sense. You know, yeah. even the even though they eschewed the film festivals, they again they still were a benefactor of those festivals. So when right. they come out and they buy the Lost Daughter, you know, uh, coming off of uh, coming off of Cannes or and, and heading to Venice and you know heading to TIFF. Now this is Maggie, Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut. Right. You never know. You never know if these films, like you you said at the the front of the segment, if they don't have the legs as an Oscars film, we typically see them if they're if they're good, and if they land, right. we see them at the Indie Spirits. We see them starting with the Gotham's with those nominees in mid October. So yeah, and I mean, because Ma Rainey and some of the other lower budget films made it you know get, gave those a little bit of extra life with you know because they fit the category i mm-hmm. guess mm-hmm. you know cuz i think chadwick and some and maybe even viola also were nominated in like indie spirits and things like that so it, it'll be interesting to see if they use some of the larger movies that they are the more like we said some of the bigger 3 if they fit those categories to get them a little bit more push uh, as they have in the past i know marriage story uh, you know, has gotten some pole position stuff in in those awards too, and and it really helped their campaign. So I'm interested to know if uh, some of these other ones that we've already mentioned fit the criteria and kind of push into that too. I also wonder, uh, you know, because we talked about 40 year old version being one of these yeah. films last year, uh, Beauty, which is written by Lena Waithe. Um, you know, who wrote for Master and Nun and wrote Queen and Slim and produced the 40-year-old version. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a film called Beauty that seems like it might fit the bill, too. So maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised if that comes out uh, this fall as well. So the hope is that it comes out this fall in the film festivals. I tend to think that the film festival circuit is kind of necessary for those smaller award shows like the Gotham's which happens when it happens mid October nominations, November award show, right? End of November yeah. award show this year. So if you kind of want to jump into that niche circuit of, of, of awards, probably got to come out a little sooner. If you're, if you're a late breaking indie in that regard, then you better get those screeners ready and, and hope it, it, it gets the buzz going. So yeah, you can get it going for Lena Waithe. She's got the name recognitions that, that if you got that screener right now, you'd put it in. Right. You'd yeah. play on it immediately because she's got the uh, Masters of None momentum right now. She's got the the big money deal in the news last year. So, I mean, we're all about Lena Waithe right now. But I, yeah. I think we need eyes on it sooner than later. Like that. That's it. That's a more curious omission for me because we don't know it's going anywhere. Like you can wait on it. Don't look up. You can wait on a tick, tick, boom. They're big budgets. They got big names. Can you wait on on Lena Waithe's? movie that you're hoping will be the indie darling that could gain the grassroots campaign. I don't know if you can do that. Well, I know we have a lot of momentum in this episode right now, but we're going to take a break. <laughs> you know, we're, you're going to have to wait for an excellent second half to this conversation where we're going to get into some of the categories that 
you know, I know Netflix cares a lot about that. I don't know exactly where they're going just yet. Want to pick Mike's brain on that. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about best animated feature and documentary feature when we come back. Hey, I'm Shamar. And I'm Andrew. We're going to be doing a deep dive on all the connected DC animated movies in their cinematic universe. Yes, I'm here to discuss the interconnected storylines and point out how jacked everybody is. And I'm here to share a deep comic book knowledge like Batman having his own sneaker line. So check out yet another DC animated podcast. Part of the Forgotten Entertainment family and coming soon wherever you listen to your podcast. Hello there, I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right, we're back, and we want to talk about, you know, the awards watch isn't just for the fancy fictional films, the high drama, any of those that are going to do the fall festival circuit. There are other categories that Netflix really cares about, and two of them that we're going to get to, starting with Best Animated Feature. Uh, one of my favorite films of the year is The Mitchells versus The Machines. It was an acquisition from Sony. So, you know, Netflix gets their credit, but, you know, I'm sure if if it goes any further, they'd really like to have something that they produce from the start. But that conversation aside, I think this is their best chance that they've ever had in a in a kind of a weird year, Mike, for best animated feature. Do you agree? Well, it's very weird because the Disney players have been underwhelming thus far. Like and Luke, Pixar too. Yeah, I, I think uh, Luca is something that I want as an Italian man. I, I want that movie whacked. I want that fish boy. <laughs> I, I'm just done with. It. I'm so done with. It. I, I am. I despise that movie for irrational reasons. Completely irrational reasons. Ryan, the no, last there's dragon. a rash. There's a rational reason, Mike, and it is that you are not as Italian as Jim Gaffigan. I am not as Italian as Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> I, I am not someone who looks at the cartoon pasta and wants to eat it, and that's what I, it came down to. Like if I, if the po- cartoon pasta was appetizing, right, yeah. we could have be having a whole different conversation. I could have gone with the whole. 20 year old bad guy in a, in a bike race tour to France with, you know, uh, eight year old kids. I could have gone with that, that whole narrative. It's I, Vespa energy that you're, you're afraid of. The Vespa energy is not something I, I could get on board with. I no, I despise that. I mean, a perfectly benign film that's fine. Could get yeah. nominated still because it's gorgeous. Yeah. Sure. Ryan, the last dragon it has a little more substance. I just feel like as a, as a whole, the, the the composition didn't quite work. It didn't have a lot of narrative momentum. They they kind of had herky jerky moments or trying with the world building didn't work. So these two of the big three Disney animated feature players were a bit underwhelming. Now they have Encanto. We saw a trailer. Mm-hmm. It's every color in the rainbow in every frame, which I think <laughs> yes. is very important for Disney. And it looks uh, utterly mind blowing in terms of the visuals. I don't know where I put that. Like overall, I'm a little underwhelmed by the animation 
category right now. Like Vivo is a bit of a disappointment. I know you, you were mentioning the same thing. And I, I listened to uh, your review of it uh, today on <laughs> your latest episode, and I think you called it adorable bullshit. That's right. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like I was like, oh, this this is the cutest little honey bear or whatever that he's Nonsense. supposed to be, the right. Kikaju, whatever it's called. And the, some of the songs are super catchy. And I agree with you about Gloria Stefan's song at the end might have a, a best song uh, you know, category stuff. But I also thought that was going to happen with Over the Moon last year, True. and that didn't work either. But this is, you know, Gloria Stefan, Lin Manuel Miranda, a little bigger names than someone like just the a character singing in Over the Moon. So it might have a chance, but yeah, I agree with you about it. Though. it has, like the story is so weak, and, and the Stewie thing that you mentioned, where it's like, so we don't hear him talk, but we're also going along with him. So are like, is he singing and you can't hear him sing, but we can't hear him talk? What is happening so, that we're all getting along here? Right. If you don't acknowledge him as a sentient being who can communicate with you, right. then how are you allowing him to basically play street music in front of you and not question it? Like, it makes yeah. no sense whatsoever. Uh, yeah, and that's fine. I mean, I, 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 it's a cartoon and it's gorgeous and it's beautiful yeah. and the songs are catchy and I'm sure, you know, if your kids turned it on, they would, they would like it. And so yeah. those movies, however, don't typically make up the, you know, the animated feature category of the last 20 no. years. You get some of those once in a while in a bad year, but typically the films that have been working are the big budget animation spectacles that, also tell a riveting story and that have right. the Pixar touch or the Disney touch. And I could feel Vivo going for that. Just quite didn't quite land. I could feel Ryan, the last dragon going for that. And it didn't quite land. So the Mitchell's in the machine versus the machines, easily the best composition thus far, a dad fantasy, which probably still works <laughs> well in the Academy, yep. even with the sure. Academy of less dads, but for you to love that movie, it's only too fitting, I would say. I think, uh, I, 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 but Maya Rudolph is tremendous as the mother, too. Yes. Don't undersell very that. fun. So, when the adorable bullshit anecdotes happen in the Mitchells versus the Machines, it's like one minute of nonsense. She's fighting a robot, and, and we're loving that. That's man, we, 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 we like if it's something so funny and something so cool that it's a, a minute 90 seconds worth of fun. Like, yeah. yeah, it's nonsense, but I don't care. It's fun. It's a great joke. So sure. when that stuff happens with the Key and Peel characters in Toy Story 4, that'll still win the Oscar. It doesn't matter. So you could put that kid shit in. You could put those that candy, right? The candy in right. the movie, the frosting, whatever you want. So that's the thing about this year's animation category. You have complete nonsense, beautiful nonsense, and then yeah. you have like one story that's kind of substantive. And then you have like high art films. You have, oh my God, a refugee memoir that is soul crushing, depressing, but also triumphant, like Flea coming from Neon. You have Where is Anne Frank, which they're going to adapt the Anne Frank story and tell it, in, you know, in a 50 year saga. And it played a can and. Oh my God, we could have serious films getting nominated 
in this category that hasn't happened far too often. We saw it with Persepolis. And boss baby family business, Mike. <laughs> yes. I mean, and boss the baby. capitalism overtones. It's a baby, but it's a boss, and it's Alec Baldwin, and he's <laughs> eating sandwiches and talking on the phone, and it's just you're you're going through the heartbreak of that. No, but I, the breadwinner, <laughs> the breadwinner, Anomalisa, Persepolis, Waltz with Bashir, which didn't even get nominated in mm. animation category. It got nominated in international feature back in 2008 like we've seen these get nominated before it's the the examples are few and far between now we have a new academy so something like flea it's it's like passing right now it had a great play mm. at sundance it's coming back at new york and etc it's getting you know more attention in the in the kind of the film festival reboot how do you parse between flea which is basically welcome to chechnya the documentary <laughs> right. but animated by right. like richard linklater style how do you parse between that and something as joyous and happy and silly as the mitchells versus the machines or any of these other films i have been mentioning i don't know well, so well question i have for you then sir who is the voting body for the best animated feature is that like does it go through a guild section does it have anything to where it has to to get nominated, like, what's the nominating process for that one? So, Do you know? So I, I believe it's their branch, and I'm not sure off the top of my head if you watch enough films and you're from another branch, if you could be part of their nominating committee. Because some, some, okay, I, I believe that's a stipulation for international film or whatever. They're trying to get more eyes on it and give it a chance at the bigger categories at the end of the day. I don't know if that's true with animated feature, uh, feature but I do know that in a general sense, the branch will vote for the nominees and the Academy will vote for the winner. So even when something like flea Persepolis, et cetera, gets nominated, that's a screener pile argument where, okay, you got to the animated films. Are you going to watch the Mitchells versus the machines and just have fun right. and put the popcorn and enjoy yourself? Or are you going to watch another serious movie at, a, at the end of a long list of very serious movies? If you're just yeah. a regular Academy schmo about to vote. Yeah. Well, because part of me is like if you're in those guilds or in that, you know, initial nominating body and you're trying to go and and vote for a category that like the look of it and the animation style and all these things come into play just as much as the story. Right. So if if Flea is done in Richard Linklater style, I don't know if that's enough animation no. to to really get past that part. That's where I kind of put it maybe where it might not make it but in a weak year it might make it um so that's my concern especially because it was getting some initial buzz that it might knock somebody yeah. out yeah. but yeah the but ryan the last dragon i mean we you know i haven't actually watched that yet myself i don't know what i'm waiting for but um it's well i was waiting for it to not cost me anything i will say <laughs> that but now that it doesn't, I have no excuses. But I will say that in such a weak year, you know, th that was actually well critically praised uh, when it came out. So, like, it has some of the better numbers compared to some of these other nominations. And the, and the other uh, Netflix ones that didn't work as far as, like, mm. you know, didn't have a conversation around them. Uh, you know, Wish Dragon, which they also got from Sony. I thought it was fine. It's fine. It was fun for a little bit, yeah. but it didn't get enough conversation. Uh, America, the motion picture, which I had such high hopes for. I liked it, but I wanted to love it. And, and I think just an, it didn't have enough 
humor or the right humor. Mm-hmm. There was so much, so many dad jokes and like cheap observation stuff, and 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 really kind of just playing to the whole. Hey, we're in the a weird part of the American Revolution, and America sucks at you know developing, you know, uh, as a nation and all this other stuff. It's like okay, we get it. Um, but some of them, yeah, truly made me laugh really hard. So that, that's a mix, but I also don't see this type of voting body or, or critics in general being like, yeah, let's, let's put that movie next to some of these heartwarming, you know, family films. I, I think the general rule might be if it's an animated feature with boobs, it probably doesn't get nominated. So I knew this probably wasn't going to play much, especially the people who do Archer and Sea lab 2021. Um, and then, yeah, like Arlo, the alligator boy, it was fun, whatever, but now they're making it into a show. So they kind of already moved on as a studio, right. let alone uh, you know, trying to put it out. So, yeah, it's going to come down to, I think, Mitchells versus the Machines, Encanto, and Ryan the Last Dragon. Those might be what we're looking at. And Disney has uh, or Pixar has won 14 of the 20 Best Animated Feature Oscars and 12 of the last 14. So it's going to be tough sledding for the Mitchells, and but I hope. You know, Lord and Miller finally get some, you know, back into the circle because they won for Spider Verse. Right. You know, so you know, I think this is amazing animation, and the Mitchells versus the Machines is, I think, I put it as my number two favorite film of the year right now. Yeah, next level of animation. It had a huge moment when it came out. It, it had a, just a joyous reception, which yeah. might nullify some of these other movies. Number one, like, like America, for that matter, but. I don't think the release calendar matters as much. Like you, you get spring releases for animation. That's a sweet spot. You know, 20 films have won this category since it started. Six come from June, three come from May, two come from March. So that's eight films from the the spring there. And then November has five, December has two, October and September have one apiece. So that's 10 films from like the fall winter area and nothing else has won anywhere else. So I believe that from april you know that's that's a fine release date for the mitchells versus the machines and that doesn't mean Encanto in november that doesn't mean uh back to the outback the netflix film that is doesn't have a release date yet but obviously you guess it's coming out later this fall or in the winter with every single australian actor that's why when we did this (laughs) you know when we did this uh you know state of the union couple months ago we we're looking at the acquisitions right but we were also looking at back you know back to the outback as a potential contender there i, I was just in awe of the cast i was like oh my god you got sure. this voice cast so who the hell knows we got a still it looks cool uh, i'm sure it's going to be big budget uh production values for back to the outback so can that rival Encanto? or you know obviously if, if it's Encanto's category to lose because if that comes out and if that's you know frozen level you know right it's in the bag it's done yeah but uh you know if back to the outback is is strong and nothing else shows itself and then you have a a, a whole group of animators who've built careers on entertaining children and, and they they kind of want to honor what they've built their careers on do they necessarily yeah. want to honor somebody who just an, animated a memoir no you can nominate flea in international feature, you can nominate Flea in uh, in, in documentary fe- feature as well, which is going to cause more confusion for Flea, I guess. So 
I guess at the end of the day, I'm just not with the hype on Flea. I think it ha- packs an emotional punch at the end. I think it's a, a B grade for me, very solid. But is it a runaway? You kind of mentioned some of my concerns in, in your talk on Flea too. So I'm not necessarily saying it, it shouldn't be there. Right now it should be. It's in my five right now. But we'll see. We'll see. I, I think it could get knocked off if, if more of these art films land or whatnot. We'll see. Well, you already brought up our next category, which is kind of, you know, Sending a little bit of, uh, of of alarm for me with documentary feature, you know, Flea seems to be, you know, the one that everybody wants to talk about right now. It's kind of like more ahead of the pack. You know, there are certain other ones that I've noticed, like the Lost Leonardo or uh, Val or, or things like that, that have got a uh, summer of soul mm-hmm. have really gotten, you know, some early buzz. And like we mentioned before, you know, by this point last year, we knew. Crip Camp was out. We knew that that was a solid entry for Netflix. It has the Obamas behind it and everything else. We also knew that they acquire or uh, showcased uh, Dick Johnson is dead at Sundance. And it got great reviews out of there where they were like, this is the one. We're going to hold it to the end of the year and we're going to drive that one home. Didn't work out, (laughs) even though you and I loved it and thought it was the best. Yes, but you're you're kind of going through the same old shtick that we went through the last two years, however, with how you're setting me up right now, because we knew last year that we didn't know last year <laughs> with Dick Johnson is dead and Crip Camp. We expected to have our hearts ripped from our chests and one of those would get snubbed. We expected it all year. Of course it happened. So if anything, we knew that we would be heartbroken by the end of it. We just didn't know our hearts would then belong to an eight-armed creature that would also (laughs) charm the rest of the Academy. So talk about knowing nothing on how this particular branch, never mind nominates, but picks a winner when it it goes to the full Academy. Good God, documentary feature is even more of an enigma now than it was. And that's saying a lot because we've yet to be able to, to nail this one down over the years at all. So we have yeah. My Octopus Teacher, which was released when? Uh, in the spring? Uh, September, I believe. Christ. So September, it was released. To what? To what reception? Not much. Yeah. Did anybody no. come out and say, no, that was a true grassroots campaign late in the process that really took charge of that category? And was it a veto of the the films that came out in March and April? Like, Crip Camp right. and Dick Johnson is dead, or was it this the same thing that happens every year? The documentary category is just bonkers, and the prerequisites, the the, the precursor award shows don't matter. Their their right. their crossover is thirty percent, forty percent at best. We talked yeah. about it. Like you can't base you can't base your Oscar predictions based on who wins the Critics Choice documentary. You can't base it on who wins the film festivals or who wins AFI Docs. Storm Lake won it this year. You can't. There's nothing you could do. Need <laughs> to accept. I'm talking to myself probably. I need to accept <laughs> that I don't know anything about this category. And William Golden's uh, his quote comes into play here about documentary feature. Yeah, for sure, man. But the one thing, you know, we had last year was selection, though, where, where like we said, we knew about Crip Camp. We knew about Dick Johnson is dead. St- even stuff like 
uh, you know, athlete A or the social dilemma, mm. you know, octopus teacher, all these things either had trailers or had release dates or we saw them and we enjoyed them and we thought that they were contenders, you know, even things like becoming and, and you know, disclosure, like some of these other ones, they had a lot to choose from right. this year. I don't know, man. Very underwhelming stuff. Uh, even for you know something like Operation Varsity Blues, I thought might have you know had a chance if it was done well. It was fine. Uh, it wasn't the slam dunk, and I like what's that? Chris Smith, right? His style, yeah. Uh, that because he did the Fire Doc, which I loved, and mm -hmm. that got so much buzz. Even though it didn't play in awards, but it still was great. It was a hit for them, and you know. I, I, I don't know of what else is going on. Like you, I know, watch Pray Away mm -hmm. in in the festivals, and now it's actually on the platform, and Ryan Murphy's got a solid doc there. Uh, would you, do you think that this is their crown jewel, or do you think like we're going to see an acquisition piece more towards the end of the year? Well, the the hard part is, a, is acquiring documentaries right now that are, you know, Oscar- level and or oscar probable and nobody knows what oscar probable is right so yeah. i mean i can look at a few documentaries that are fairly high on my list that i don't think have a distributor as of yet but can i say with any confidence that that movie is going to a play for eyeballs but b gain you know especially with like the ambiguous endings i like those ambiguous endings but how do they play on an audience i don't think my octopus teacher had question marks in the end. So right. that's the thing. Like pray away is my eighth, eighth ranked documentary right now. And I underlined it in my big paragraph. I've seen 45 total, but I kind of mentioned 20 of them in my, my big pink paragraph here for you. <laughs> pray away feels Oscar level. I think it's a unique slant on that epidemic, on that nightmare situation that needs eyes on it. Could people yeah. come to that over the, the length of time of months, you know, months of uh, exposure and land on prey away as such a, a, a an important documentary and a well-made sure. one by Ryan Murphy and him using his platform and him using his, his, you know, big deal at Netflix to make a movie like this that so many yeah. people need. Yes, I think that's important. I would campaign for Pray Away as a nomination at the end of the day. However, like you like you said, that's like the only obvious Oscar play that Netflix kind of has right now. I enjoyed Operation Varsity Blues. You enjoyed Misha and the Wolves. I enjoyed I did, but I feel like they just I don't know what happened with that. I didn't right. see any rollout. This is on the platform people, Misha and the Wolves that Mike and I both watched at Sundance. And I enjoyed the heck out of it. It's got an amazing twist uh, on on a store, uh, more familiar story beats in terms of uh, Jewish immigration and, and and stuff, you know, coming out right. of the Holocaust and things like that. But this one really turns it on its head, and I I thought it was very watchable, very enjoyable, uh, and important to watch. Just and especially for Netflix that loves this kind of almost different slant on a true crime story stuff mm -hmm. i thought it was going to do great on netflix i haven't seen a thing about this since it rolled out but if you guys want a recommendation from me definitely seek out go. misha and the wolves yeah it's it's so watchable uh for certain c spiracy's gotten good reviews but 
all right, let's get rid of plastic. I agree, and it's important, <laughs> but how can people get behind that necessarily? Uh, the- I saw critics have a lot of problems with that movie in okay. terms of the science and things going back and forth, which is what you need to really uh, sell a movie a like that. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a problem. An inconvenient cr- truth kind of galvanized people in that regard. So if the scientists right. are not galvanized, that's an issue. Uh, so that's the thing. You have to mount a campaign in documentary feature usually because documentary feature – usually has to build over a long period of time you got to be patient like i was saying yeah we saw american factory have a methodical campaign we saw icarus mm-hmm. have a methodical campaign we saw the edge of democracy these films were what releases they were late summer early fall releases at the latest right so yeah i believe so yeah so that's why like netflix is kind of an unknown territory my octopus teacher early fall release they're an unknown territory to say all right we're going into the festivals and we want to acquire a documentary feature contender do they have enough time can they they find that darling which you almost need a darling at this stage to take over or are we going to see one of the you know the 45 films that i watched and you know the the 20 films i have in pink here come into play i i don't know i i love the lost leonardo i thought it was the best made documentary in a while val is kind of a you know a, just a really good watch you know i i like the neutral ground from from pbs i liked whirly bird even though that's a tough watch and i don't know there's a couple others that i don't know about their distributions all these sons the slow hustle but look i do think that all of these other studios are activated now especially in the mm. documentary category and that's kind of a a thesis statement for why maybe Netflix doesn't have as deep a bench as we, th- yeah. we saw them have last year, last year we saw, you know, yeah, neon was in, but neon was dealing to Hulu. Right. And a yeah. 24 was sidelined and Sony basically took their Sundance slate and they pushed it forward and they're like, all right, we can't play theaters. So, you know, a lot of these studios kind of withheld last year and did Netflix. The question I have to you, uh, we kind of talked about it in the pre-show. Do you think Netflix kind of put out everything they could last year to capitalize on the eyes, to capitalize on the on, on the eyes and buys? I guess I didn't really need to uh, uh, rhyme there. <laughs> but, I mean, people were buying Netflix subscriptions like crazy. They had to feed the beast last year. We yeah. saw ESPN push the Michael Jordan doc, you know, on hyperdrive to get it out during the pandemic. Do you think this could have happened to more documentaries last year and things just had to get, I mean, it could be in a couple categories, but maybe documentary that's the easiest one to do. Usually it's, it's a long post-production process that that makes yeah. the doc yeah for sure and and post-production is what was still moving forward right mm. so even stuff that you know uh needed to take a little bit more seasoning if they already had it close to the finish line they were probably pushing and pushing and pushing to get these things out like you said to feed the beast and keep people you know staying on the platform and because they already capitalized with other things like tiger king which was a surprise success True. early on and and we talked about you know the five bloods but they also had like things like you know extraction or things that were like big hits because everybody was just waiting for something with a star in it or something that kind of popped in you know this cycle where we were in just sitting at home just trying to find anything to keep the pulse uh during lockdown or whatever our situations were so that that was a different year for sure um but 
even in past years, I feel like they've had more on the slate, you know, because they brought them out to the film festival circuit. And right. the only one I know that was in the film festival circuit was Pray Away, and it was late. It was, like, close to the release date late. Mm-hmm. So they, they didn't put this in a, a prime spot. They put in, you know, a week and a half ago. They put it, like, I think it was, like, an August 6th release or something, like, midweek. So is that what we're, we're dealing with here? We're going to hope that it, like, gains momentum as it gets closer, or is it going to get swallowed up? Because some of these big ones, they released them, you know, they were big at Sundance, you know, the Fleas and Summer of Souls of the world, you know, and mm-hmm. and like you said, you, you've you been putting it out there, like you said, for uh, Los Leonardo and some of these other ones, the Anthony Bourdain one, and Val get, like, the kind of big celebrity treatment here, but does that usually work with the nominating body? Not often. Right. So, you know, it's usually, as you guys put it always, the parade of sadness or it's the <laughs> the uh, the audience, like, award winner. It's something like Galvin, the people pleasers, you know, and, and it rides somewhere in between. But, yeah, I don't know. There's some of these you were saying that, that get my interest that don't have representation. So I think that Netflix has some options with ones that haven't been, uh, you know, gobbled up yet. Mm-hmm. Hold Your Fire was one I saw in an article from – uh, Indie Wire, where they were like, you know, this is one of the better ones that still is out there that doesn't have representation. And I feel like the the whole uh, Dog Day Afternoon ish story. I think that feel feels like a Netflix doc. You know, like even sure. if it's one, I don't know if it's an award play, but it feels like something that would fit for them. That's still making the circuit. Uh, so, and I believe, uh, you know. It, it might have uh, some interest, you know, because, like I said, true crime works on Netflix. But then again, they just botched the whole Misha and the Wolves thing. So I have no I, I also <laughs> have no answers, Mike. And so I, I'm glad we're kind of just holding these conversations to, to see what might work and just kind of spitball it. Because otherwise, man, I, this was one category that I was just kind of really flummoxed because usually they have this one well in hand. They usually have more obvious contenders uh, over the last few years because they've 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 kind of crystallized the formula, like we said, of either early spring getting jumping on it early or building up to with film festivals, building up to the the late summer, early fall releases that they they campaign for. Now, does this always happen? Not necessarily. Does it happen by accident with my octopus teacher? Oh, yeah, it did last year. This year they have like a Bob Ross happy accidents, betrayal and greed. Oh my God, Bob Ross, yeah. betrayal, greed. This is the guy that paints on the a PBS, right? Happy little trees, man. Yeah. We have Blood Brothers, Malcolm X, and Muhammad Ali. I mean, these are docs like I want to click play on right now. So they, they sure. have the goods in terms of watchability. These profile docs don't always get there. These archival footage docs don't always get there. Because if it's not super important, if it's not the darling, right, the irresistible darling, we've seen these struggle at the end of the day yeah mlk fbi last year well even if they are the irresistible darling right you're right about mlk fbi being really well done but like won't you be my neighbor irresistible darling archival footage doc overlooked because i mean i here's the thing here's a new theory about the documentary film branch again the branch nominates the academy gives the, the the trophy out right right i feel as though they are hesitant to nominate the crowd pleasers because they're they don't want the crowd pleaser to win enough mm. people for whatever reason are saying to themselves yeah maybe it's a nominee 
But if we nominate it, then everybody's going to pick it to win. These The rest of these Academy members are going to pick it to win for the sure thing. I mean, that's my cynical right. take. That's a kind of a, a really bitter conspiracy theory about the documentary <laughs> because of my own failures to predict this category. Yeah. Well, it'd be an interesting year, Mike, with this award season if 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 it turns into kind of the opposite how Netflix has been in the past, where yeah. they'll win a documentary feature, they'll win, you know, some of these like, you know, lower tier, not the big six awards, and maybe they win some of those, and maybe they don't win some of the lower card ones that they've dominated in the past. That would be an interesting switch. If that happens, and if I if I guess we're putting money on it, power of the dog, man, that might be the one that you know might get more awards than Netflix has been used to in the past in the Big Six. He cuts quite the jib uh, behind with the Montana mountains behind him in that cowboy hat. I would say, yeah. And that one, and we just we went got. through Nomadland being this kind of picturesque film you know to look at and a more subtle story so i don't know maybe it's ripe to kind of follow up on that but you know sometimes you need to be right in the curve you know happening right at the right time sure. and and we'll see if you know don't don't look up is more timely does that work nothing works my <laughs> it just just we need to get these movies hooked into our veins so we could stop talking hypotheticals and really kind of like champion something That's right. uh, like we have in the past. So we'll see, Mike, but I feel better. I feel better. <laughs> I don't know if I feel better about documentary feature, but I definitely feel better about, you know, kind of them up and down, you know, still trying to get every quadrant. We didn't get to talk about it, but Best International Feature has some contenders as they, they have in the past, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not Roma. It's not like slam dunk stuff, but Hand of God, Palace Sorrentino's film is getting some attention. Seven Prisoners, mm-hmm. Prayers for the Stolen. So there are some things out there that, you know, they are hitting every quadrant again. And I, I think I feel a little bit better. So I appreciate you coming on and kind of talking me off the ledge and maybe be. <laughs> putting me on on a more specific uh, cliff, but we'll see uh, how it works out. But I appreciate your time. No, I I always love coming on here. And yeah, I may ask 10 questions for every quote unquote answer that I try and give, (laughs) but uh, no, I love this stuff. We talk about it year round. And uh, I hope that after the film festival circuit, you still want to talk to me. That's my great hope (laughs) because again, these things could vet themselves out. And if the power of the dog doesn't win anything, are you going to be freaking out even even more if they don't have another contender emerge? Because again, you know, maybe the, maybe this sl- <laughs> maybe this whole season just pleasantly surprises you at the end of it, and it doesn't shake out the way it, every, all these other seasons have gone with the building things up. And you never know; you just never know. Or, yeah, or maybe like we're not in the awards conversation Netflix for this year. And and then I could just go on vacation, Mike. I can like just kind of <laughs> check out the end of the year. I can listen to your podcast and kind of enjoy it from afar. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen, but, but you, you can know. keep, you know, uh, going down the route of the huge crowd pleasers that everybody wants to watch. And you got how many, th- you know, three sixty fives that had two sequels coming up for three sixty five. You could do a four part mini series on each. I mean, sure. all of these just must watch entertainments that Netflix is just, <laughs> you know, forcing me to click play on every day. So I mean, even as an exactly. Oscars pundit, I can't help but watch all the other stuff. So you're doing a great job with all the 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 big stuff. Uh, Fear Street, all your coverage of Fear Street, been loving that too. So 
Yeah. I'll be sitting there on Army of Thieves and Red Notice Corner, I guess. You want to be forward. on Red Notice Corner, though. I know. I do oh, want to be yeah. on Red Notice Corner. That looks great. That so looks awesome. So, like, we have four months left here of the year, and I think we got enough to chew on, and hopefully the conversation keeps going. What are you guys uh, focusing on right now for, for MMO? I mean, you kind of you know, had your summer of fast movies and, <laughs> and, and other things going through. What are you looking forward to that's coming up for you guys? So we've been having like a preview summer with our news shows that kind of morphed into some serious issues, right, with the industry at large. So yeah. I I feel like we've been doing some deep dives into that research and we've been offending all the main studios on the one hand is my guess. Uh, not that, not that we're serving them. We're trying to serve the consumers and we're worried about how much they're spending. So I think hopefully that's, you know, uh, something that the listeners will appreciate at the end of the day. But Mike and I were joking, like, can we offend every single major studio in one episode? Oh yeah, we did. We managed to do it in our, our last episode before Coda here, but yeah, we're also doing the Oscar profiles and we're going to promote the films that we really love throughout the season. We're going to, you know, attend the film festivals to a degree. You and I will maybe take a skip and a joint to, to New York, or we may, you know, uh, under the same moon, see the same film at, at yeah. a certain spot uh, here or there. But I, I think, uh, you know, there's some virtual festivals. Most of them are in person. We're going to cover those. But it's a murderer's row of Oscar contenders, at least on the calendar right now, mixed yeah. with, like you said, we we did the Fast franchise rewatch, which is a blast. Like we have some, you know, popular film series in our past, like Halloween Kills. I mean, we did a whole Halloween franchise re mmo does halloween we, we reviewed every single halloween movie with relish and it's probably the best work we that was our mountaintop we peaked yeah. then <laughs> and uh, and just totally off-brand set of movies and we don't care because we we just love doing that so we got a lot of that Perfect. stuff coming out this year we got the james bond uh we did a whole james bond series as well so and, uh, we we'll review the the movie world and we'll come on every other podcast we can especially yours when you ask us to uh review the netflix world as well well you're always welcome here sir the the research you do everything much appreciated my audience loves it i love it so anytime buddy and i appreciate you doing the hustle on this one the deep dive uh and yeah let's let's hope for the best let's let's hope we're in the circles for for netflix so we can keep talking all right absolutely thanks again man 